How's it going? And welcome to episode 141 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherlist Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin Hasting is at Hasting Kevin on the Twitter still. And it's good to be back. We took some time off. Not not really out of choice. <laughs> we had some uh, internal picture list podcasting network uh, um, things to take care of. Um, you know, just putting it all out there. We changed networks um, where we're hosting our podcast. Um, luckily, it got done pretty quick. Um, and we can get right back at it. Kevin, how are you doing? Nice. I'm doing well. It's been uh, an exciting couple of weeks since we last talked. And I think, you know, many times at the end of the show, uh, I bring up uh, a, a topic and I, I often preface it with everybody knows this, but sometimes it's it's nice to get a reminder. Uh, and the, the biggest reminder I got this week uh, was and, and we all know this. But we get excited sometimes and we forget. Until Jeff Passan <laughs> verifies something, it did not happen. You throw Rosenthal in there for the most part, but Passan is is the yeah, the gold standard, really, when it comes down to it. I said that to a buddy of mine I was texting. Uh, he's like, you know, it was in the heat of everything with Otani going to Toronto and all that. And I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't look like even even Bob Nightingale is starting to say that uh, it's it, it's not happening. Um, he's like, I don't know, man. There's too much. There's too much smoke. You know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I'm like, mm, we'll we'll see until Passan says something. He's like, well, Passan doesn't say anything until it's official. I'm like, no, Passan doesn't say anything exactly. until it's true. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, because we'll get into it. We got we got other rumors that. I was hoping would become official to get the Passan stamp of approval before we started recording. Um, but we'll still touch on those because these are things you have to think about. You're drafting right now. Like I'm in two drafts right now. You're trying to at least fill one draft. I don't know if you started another one because you're just bored and want and needed to fill your time, but you're in the middle of a draft. You, these guys come up in your draft and you have to, you have to look in every direction as to where, things could be going, what dominoes could be falling, and you have to draft accordingly. So, you know, sometimes it pays to not pay attention to anything except for the very most trustworthy of sources. Right, absolutely. <laughs> and as we as we get into these news and notes, the the ADP that I'm going to reference this week is a little different than what I usually do. I'm using Gladiator ADP when we're talking about these guys because I want to see what the thought process has been uh, before we got the news on some of these players. Uh, how how confident were drafters in in these players before they knew what we know now in mm. a league where you can't replace the player? And so that that mm. was my reasoning that that I'm going to reference Gladiator ADP quite a bit this week. No, it's good. It's good. A uh, little disclaimer throwing out there. Uh, today is catch up day for us. Uh, well, there's a whole bunch of news that has come through officially um, since we last recorded. So we're going to spend the day kind of catching up on all of that um, and getting our take, giving our takes as to how we think it's all going to shake out. Um, but let's get some I'm going to get some housekeeping out of the way real quick. At the beginning of the show. Uh, first and foremost, we did fill our second 12 team listener league. We are in the 12th round right now of that draft. So that's going pretty good. Um, I will say that 
myself included, um, we are we we might change it to a two hour draft once the calendar flips over. But these have been four hour clocks, um, which personally I'm not as used to. I was a two hour maximum guy last year, um, but we did do four hours. That's how it got set up for us, and I didn't bother trying to change it. Um, and uh, I, I definitely used my entire clock. Um, a couple once on on this last draft yesterday, I, I hit the limit and I I felt terrible and my queue was an absolute mess. So if I were to um, echo any of your uh, final thoughts at the end of the show, Kevin, it would it would simply be always keep a clean queue. <laughs> um, and even if you don't, you know, for, even if you use your clock, at least uh, your your queue will save you at least for your pick. Still might piss off everybody in your draft room because you took up the entire clock, but it is what it is. Um, I'm not the only one in this draft that has, has done this, but you know, I, I do I do want to throw out an apology to the other 11 people in this draft had to deal with that for me. Um, ended up grab uh, probably setting a min on Jackson Holiday um, just because my key was a little bit of a mess. I think that was a 86 pick overall in that draft. Jackson Holiday starting shortstop for my team in that league, so um, backed them up with Xander Bogarts later on. Party doesn't see that you took a, a prospect. Yeah, that early, you'll be all right. <laughs> He's not in that league, uh, <laughs> and is our listener league. So I don't think the the board is public. Um, I'll post the well, board, but I'll probably black out all the it names. All of us, it, and it happens <laughs> from time to time. But and the, it, being someone else in the league when someone is about to run out that clock there's always that hope i hope they don't have their queue filled (laughs) you don't want to admit it but you're absolutely right (laughs) right i want to see that top guy in the draft room default rankings being drafted by that team because there's usually a reason they're there right oh absolutely oh geez yeah you're absolutely right um luckily i i felt I felt better about myself and as a person um, because when I realized I found out that I had run out the clock, I went back and looked on my Twitter page. It was just a busy day. Okay. I didn't have my phone on me. Like it's just, I didn't have any communication with anybody. Uh, And I checked my phone, checked Twitter. I had like three pings from people in my DMs. Hey, you're on the clock. You're on the clock. And not in mean ways. It really nice. Like, Hey, heads up. You're on the clock. Just, you know, being good people. And I had like two DMS in discord. Uh, you know, I know if, if you were in the league, you would have sent me a text. <laughs> so I, I felt, thank you everybody for reaching out and giving me a heads up on that. Um, should not happen again. I have timed out in a couple in my 50 that I'm in right now. And I don't feel that bad about that one. Sorry. If you're in this league and you're listening, cause we're already in, I think we're in round like 40s. We're in the forties. All right. So that, that draft is, is closing off. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, it's been a good time. We are trying to fill your 15 teamer. We are, we have a open listener league uh, with a 15 teamer. We're close to half full, right? How what were we, yeah. what were we looking at for that one? Uh, six or seven people have signed up for the 15. Go. We just opened it up a couple of days ago. It'd be nice to get it going uh, this week. Um, so we have it leading up to the holiday weekend, a, a draft going on, but, uh, yeah. So hit us up if you're interested. Yeah, please do. Uh, Richard, we're talking to you. I know you're, you're on the fence. I know, I know you don't want that four hour <laughs> clock, but come on, man, you can do it. Join us. We've been trying to get you in one of these leagues for three years now. Uh, love to have you in there. Um, 
yeah, this one, uh, Kevin will be in, um, unless we are getting to a desperate point, I'll probably sit this one out, um, as I'm in the 12 and you're not. So we got to, you know, spread the wealth a little bit. Um, all right. Housekeeping aside, uh, we, Kevin, we'll probably put, we're doing our, uh, news in notes recap. Like I said, got lots to talk about. So probably throw this on the airwaves on Thursday rather than wait till Sunday. Cause you know, if I wait till Sunday, there's going to be like four or five other things that we didn't get a chance to talk about. So try to be as relevant as possible here. Um, let's get, let's, let's get into it. We got, let's, let's get the bad news out of the way first. Um, there's been a couple trades. There's been a lot of signings. We'll get to all of that. Unfortunately, we do have some pretty major injury news that have come, um, across the desk, um, in the last week or so. Let's start with the Mets. So get the Mets, bad news Mets out of the way first and foremost. Sorry, Mets fans. Um, Ronnie Mauricio, he tore his ACL playing winter ball, had some nice little stats going on too, hadn't, hadn't made any errors, um, looked pretty good at the plate. I know it's winter ball and all that, but it's good to see him playing well. Tears his ACL. Uh, can't imagine that he plays in 2024. What is this? Uh, I mean, what's your take on losing? I mean, obviously, for most types of leagues, it's not a big deal. It's like um, even if you're in a I mean, it's, it stinks to lose a roster spot in a D.C. or a draft and hold. Um, but if you're in a fab league and you already drafted them, obviously, you can drop them week one um, and pick somebody else up. You probably didn't pay that much for him in retrospect. He's not like a top 100 pick or anything. Um, but seems like uh, he was pretty popular in gladiator leagues as well. Yeah, he was drafted in 52 of the 54 Gladiator Leagues that have been um, completed so far. Uh, that's a big deal. <laughs> uh, already, that, I mean, it's a guaranteed a, zero a for half the leagues, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and he had been drafted as high as 196 in those Gladiators. That's about 13th round. So there was a, a fairly decent price paid in, in many instances. So it's very unfortunate uh, for those gladiator drafters. Hopefully the, the rest of their team uh, stays a little more healthy than the, the rest of the teams in their league because everybody's going to lose players and for a su- significant amount of time. We know that uh, is how it works with gladiators. It's uh, it's it's a, a hard pill to swallow when it's... Uh, here we are just getting into December and you've already lost a player for 2024 out of your uh, 14 offensive players in those leagues. And it's, it's very unfortunate as far as the Mets go. It's tough to know what they're going to do, right? Because that Mm -hmm. we, we were told in the middle of last season, when they let Verlander and Scherzer go at the deadline, that this wasn't just a reset for the second half and and trying to uh, save what they could and come back firing in 2024. We know that Max Scherzer was told by the team that they didn't now think that 2024 was a year they'd be competing. So... If they don't do much, this probably means that Brett Beatty's time is a little more solidified and we might see a little more of Joey Wendell. Uh, we, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago and it, you know, we talked about 
he's a utility guy and backup and maybe not getting a lot of playing time. Now it's something to keep an eye on. Um, hard to know what the Mets are going to do, but I don't know if they're going to try to bring in uh, someone to place uh, replace Mauricio. So uh, it's something we're going to have to keep an eye on. Uh, in the As of right now, I'm thinking Brett Beatty's time's a little more stable at third base, and we may see a little more Joey Wendell. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I'm going by uh, our buddy Schwebzy, uh in our in our Discord, kind of being a LOL Mets fan at, at this point, just kind of outlining uh, what he's noticed to be the, quote, significant uh, signings that the Mets have made so far. And just going down this list, they've they've brought in Cole Sulcer, Austin Adams, Joey Wendell, as we mentioned, Luis Severino, probably the biggest name here, Kyle Crick, Andrew Scrub, uh, Andre Scrub. Jose Iglesias, Michael Tom- uh, Tonkin, and then we're going to talk about a little bit later, Trace Thompson. Um, and so, I mean, they're filling the roster to an extent. Um, <laughs> but yeah, to your point, I'm not sure that there's going to, like, they're filling the roster to a point where they can't make that many more moves or at least significant ones. There's not a whole lot of bats on the market in general in free agency. Um, I can't imagine them making a trade to kind of fill this gap that's been created um, with Mauricio. So uh, whether it is, you know, McNeil playing more second base and not going in the outfield or Beatty playing a little bit more full time, um, as, as you kind of alluded to, um, I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that this roster is pretty, the starting roster at least is is going to pretty, I'm drafting as if this roster is pretty much the opening day roster. Um, I'm not expecting a big move here. And if I've already drafted Brett Beatty, I feel a little better about it. Sure. Now, he he's, he still might not perform, but if he does perform uh, as you were hoping and or expecting, then he's probably getting some more at-bats now. Sure. Yeah, and that'll, that'll definitely help. Um, sorry, to, sorry to see it, Ronnie. Um, hope you're, uh, you know, Maybe we make a quick recovery, as quick a recovery as one can from uh, a torn ACL. Um, from from one CL to the other, uh, we're going to move from an ACL to a UCL repairment. Um, Andy Rodriguez also hurt um, this offseason. Uh, well, he's going to have elbow surgery to repair his UCL. He definitely will be missing the 2024 season, as it's reported uh, that he should be ready to go back to baseball activities within 10 to 12 months. Yes, that is a calendar year for those tracking at home. Um, obviously, the expected starting catcher for the Pirates, uh, or at least putting up a good fight to you know make make that case through spring training and into opening day, not an option right now. Uh, are you, are you more, um, disappointed in the fact that Rodriguez is not an option any, any longer at the catcher position, which has admittedly been a little deeper than I think we are used to in recent years. Um, you know, it's still not like a plethora, but I mean, there's, it's a little bit, the cliff doesn't fall off quite as early. Um, or like, are you more, or at the same time, are you more interested in kind of who kind of fills that hole in that gap that, 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 that is created from Rodriguez not being an option for the Pirates? 
Well, of course, I'm upset for Indy Rodriguez, and uh, I I feel for those that that drafted him, especially all but one gladiator so far. He was drafted uh, probably as a catcher too in the 53 out of 54 leagues. He's been drafted, and remember, it's a little different in gladiators. You're only drafting 23 uh, players, just the starting lineup. So the the ADP on second catchers. It, is a little higher, uh, but he was taken as early as 248 in that format. Uh, 17th round uh, for a 15-team league. That That's going to hurt a little bit. Also, I Henry Davis, I think, now is probably going to at least get a look here. They The Pirates had already said that he would get time as a backup catcher. Uh, he's only eligible in the outfield. And that's, what's really interesting. This, this is kind of, uh, bad for those that have already drafted in gladiators. Good for those that have drafted him in draft champions, Mm -hmm. possibly, uh, and even better for those that haven't drafted him at all yet, but might want to. Henry Davis, mm-hmm. because those that drafted him in a gladiator, he's locked into that outfield slot. And if he's going to be the primary catcher for the Pirates, his at-bats just went down. So that's a problem and an issue and a disappointment. Sure, he would be your second catcher, I, I would hope, for all 17 of those that drafted him. So not a huge deal, but he's probably going to miss out on some at-bats now. Uh, for those that have drafted him in a draft champions, him adding catcher eligibility more quickly uh, will be advantageous because I'm sure most of those that drafted him in the draft and holds were counting on him getting catcher eligibility at some point. Those that haven't drafted him yet but are interested, now he's, at, at least as it looks now, probably getting more at-bats and that catcher eligibility sooner. More at-bats as a catcher, so he gets that eligibility sooner. Uh, so this is kind of depends on the format and and type of league you have drafted so far, how it affects Henry Davis, but that and unless they make another move and and they've made a couple of uh, uh minor moves and but uh it's looking to me like he's probably uh the primary catcher now and um definitely somebody to take a look at in, as a catcher too especially in 15 team two catcher leagues do you think so how many at bats do you think he loses if he is indeed the primary catcher now that's not to say that he can't go like all Adley Rutschman on us and primarily right. catch and then also DH, maybe play an outfield spot here or there. Um, I mean, Sal Perez was doing it last year, playing first base, DH, and catching. Um, not, I wouldn't say he was the primary catcher at, in the second half, maybe. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, but he still caught plenty. Uh, so it's it still happens. Um, Adley got 588. Um, at bats or plate appearances last year, um, I, I I would wonder how many um, how the Pirates will treat him if he is the primary catcher. Yeah, that's what we we don't know for sure, but I I think we got to guess a, a day a week off in addition to what was probably the plan if he was 
playing in right field and or as a designated hitter. Uh, Roster Resource right now has him penciled in as the designated hitter uh, with Jason DeLay as the catcher. If if that happens, then everything is is pretty much the same as what we thought prior to Indy's injury. But I really, it really looks like to me that he probably is going to get a lot more time behind the plate. And yeah, Adley Rutschman, a couple of other players around the league do get their plate appearances um, as designated hitter, as a first baseman. I, I don't know that the Pirates are going to do that with Henry Davis. He's not to that point yet, right? We we all expect him to be better than he was mm-hmm. with the 213 batting average and his 255 plate appearances. We we expect him to be better, but he, had, he doesn't demand those plate appearances yet. Uh, and so it, it's going to be interesting to watch, and it's something to, to pay attention to for those that do most of their drafting in March. Uh, this is a situation to really pay attention to in the spring. Yeah, there you go. I mean, we always say like there's a lot of noise in spring training, not a lot to really take in, but it's playing time and where you are in the order and how you're being treated um, when you're battling for a position or when there's a lot of gray area in not only the lineup, but also who's starting at every position on your team. Um, those are the things you want to look for in spring training. Um, all right. Got the got the injury news out of the way. I'm sure there will more come up, maybe even while we're recording that. Um, but let's get into um, we got a couple of smaller deals. We got some minor league deals. We got some longer term deals to talk about. And we're going to do that right after this quick break. All right, Kevin, we got a couple of one year deals for some. I mean, I guess expected first baseman, um, first base DH types. Uh, I'll kind of lump these two guys together and get your take on which one you th- you're you know more interested in or you'd have more confidence in. Uh, Roddy Telez finds a new home with the aforementioned Pittsburgh Pirates on a one year deal, um, and then the San Francisco Giants um, they they did <laughs> they did get Yoshitomo Tsugo um, on a on a one year deal as well. Um, both obviously first base options, both obviously DH options, bench bats, however you want to look at them. Um, are, are we interested in in what capacity are you interested in either one of them? And which one of these guys do you think could actually, based on what team they're on and what position they play and all, all the other factors, can actually find a way into, you know, a, str- a streak worth looking at. And we might be talking about these guys um, in April as possible pickups in, in early season. Well, I think it's Telez over Sutsugo, uh, pretty easy in that regard. He's in the lineup, I believe. And, and I think most people believe that. Uh, the, the issue is, you know, he start. He had a slow week or so to start off 2023, and then he caught fire. And he was the Telez, and people that that are big Telez fans and and drafters were reaping rewards for that confidence in him. He hit one home run after May. Uh, now, granted, he was banged up. He was sent down. He had all these other things going on. He wasn't getting a lot of plate appearances, but he. 
he did have 93 plate appearances in June with zero home runs. Right, that just boggles the mind. Uh, I I think to start out as of right now, Pittsburgh thinks he is going to be in the lineup at least against right-handed starting pitching and probably for the most part only against right-handed pitching. Uh, so I think that's how you draft him. Um, I I've never been a, a big Telez guy. I know a lot of people are. I understand why. If you still believe in Telez, just realize he's probably a, a strong side platoon bat. And there is value in that, especially in the deeper leagues, for sure. Sutsugo, I believe this is a depth move. We may or may not even see him with the Giants. So I am still very uh, tentative, not even just tentative, uh, just keeping an eye on him for now. He's, I, I don't have any interest in Sutsugo at the moment. However... Right. We, we know the pedigree he had when, when he, he came to the United States. He's shown some flashes. He's never really had a, a full-time opportunity to, to really run with it. And if he gets that chance, some, some nice things might happen. So it's definitely worth keeping an eye on. But I, I think as for as far as we're concerned, if we're drafting right now, which many of us are, um, in, in a deeper league, Telez has a spot. Uh, on some rosters, uh, Sutsugo does not as of yet. Yeah, should have clarified, and it could have bumped this one into the other grouping we have later on. Sutsugo is a minor league deal. Um, right. I would expect that he also probably got a, a invitation to spring training, or if he hasn't, he will be there. Um, so yeah, that's a good good way to looking at it. Of course, if you're listening to this and you're also heading over to roster resource, and you're like, wait, no, he's not on the roster yet. And they're like, oh, because it's a minor league deal. Because um, you're right. He's not on the roster yet. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we have um, one uh, international signing has has completed the posting process and, and what have you. Um, Jung-Hyu Lee did sign with the San Francisco Giants. Um, he is or will be on the roster um, officially with that six-year deal. Um, it comes with an opt-out clause after year four. Um, so we can see how he handles that. But with all expectations, you know, the Giants um, ha- have somebody that they can expect to be playing on a regular basis for, you know, the, the better part of the next decade. Um, wh- we talked a lot about him with Jake um, on our last episode. Um, now that we know his landing spot, how and, and they've gone through some managerial changes. Gabe Kapler's not there. Um, what are we expecting out of Lee in his first season? We talk about this all the time, especially uh, with these hitters that are coming over, especially from the KBO rather than coming over from Nippon um, in Japan. What are you expecting out of him in this ballpark in San Francisco with this roster around him um, and being the first year coming from overseas? Yeah, this is really interesting. I don't... (sighs) I, I have mixed emotions on the ballpark. Uh, it, it's horrible as far as power goes, uh, especially for a guy like Lee that doesn't have uh, much power, but a little bit, right? And so am I upset that that little bit of power just got worse, or am I happy that it's a nice big outfield and there his his bab up should go up maybe we see a few more doubles a couple more triples uh due to the 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 nice large outfield in san francisco 
so, uh, you know, doubles and triples aren't a category in many of our fantasy leagues. They, they help a lot in points leagues, but I, I, I'm, I really mixed emotions about the ballpark, but as a, a player in general, um, uh, our, our friend Joe Arico put out a poll uh, a day or two ago on Twitter, and he just put up these stats, and these were Steamer 600 projections for 2024. 13 home runs, 140 runs plus RBI, 8 stolen bases, a 291 average. That is the Steamer 600 projection for Lee. Now, nine home runs, 134 runs plus RBI, five stolen bases, a 317 average is the Steamer 600 projections for Luis Arias. So the thing with this is Lee in San Francisco, I know Gabe Kapler's gone. Things are going to be different. It's going to be really difficult for an outfielder to get 600 plate appearances in San Francisco, in my opinion. Luis Arias is probably going to get well over 600 plate appearances. So you're looking at probably nearly the exact same counting stats, but... 26 points lower in batting average. Now, that's just a projection. It's not going to be exact. But if you're drafting someone like this, it's about that batting average. And that 26 points in batting average, if that's what comes to pass, that's probably as many at-bats as Arias gets. That's a two-point difference on your fantasy team batting average in a Roto League. Probably more than that, due to the number of at bats that 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 Arias gets in ADP, at least in Gladiator leagues, where most players assumed that Jung Hu Lee would sign with an MLB team. We just didn't know where, mm-hmm. uh, but he he was still being drafted in forty five out of fifty four of the leagues, but he was being drafted at a an ADP outside the top 300 Luis Arias is at 163. We're talking about a 10 round difference, but 10 rounds. I don't, in my opinion, if you're going to draft a player like this with these projections and this is, and these types of projections are why you are drafting the player. It's all about the batting average. And it's probably worth that 10 rounds in my opinion, uh, you know, it's 11th round on average for Arias, uh, but he has been taken after pick 200 in some of those leagues as well. If you're drafting a guy like this, the, the higher the, the average projection, the better. Um, I don't know that I have much interest in Lee. I probably would have had some if he'd have, landed in a much more favorable ballpark but uh i i I just don't see a whole lot of value even going much later um with a if it's going to be an 
a high 200s batting average with these counting stats. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how much the the ballpark in with, with a player like him actually plays. You know, what I mean, like if he had landed in Cincinnati, you know, and you knew he was going to get the same amount of playing time that he would have gotten anywhere else, you know, whatever roster aside, um, does does his profile really play up to the strengths of that ballpark? You said it at the very beginning, like the the strengths that he brings to the table may actually be he might benefit more from being in a park like San Francisco. Um, if he had gone to Colorado, it would have been nice just because of the big open outfield, not so much because of the power. We know just that that huge outfield there plays uh, plays up for for what he brings to the table as well. So, I mean, some of the, it's it's not all about. What I'm all I'm trying to say is that just because a ballpark doesn't play well to power on the surface doesn't mean that's a big deal for a player of his nature. Like it doesn't. I don't. I don't necessarily think that it it will impact him that much. Like, what does he go from ten home runs to thirteen home runs, depending on the ballpark, um, because of his skill set and what he brings to the table, what he's trying to do at the plate? Um, that's what I question. Right, and and. Like I mentioned, points leagues and every site every, every, yeah, uh, yep. counts their <laughs> points different. So run it through an auction calculator, right? Uh, but uh, it depending on the league, the, he could be great for a points league. Uh, and like, like I said earlier, and you just brought up again, San Francisco could help that mm-hmm. uh, because it should bring up his BABIP. It should bring up the number of doubles. It should bring up the number of triples that he hits. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Also interesting to see how they treat him in spring training to see, again, where he is in the, in the lineup and you know how much reps they are giving him. Um, I'm expecting him to play the majority of time in center field as he's listed on roster resource, and uh, we'll see how that uh, that works out in San Francisco. Um, heading over to Cincinnati, they grab a. I, I w- I'm I'm going to go ahead and assume their I guess their first baseman of the future, <laughs> um, third uh, three year deal for Heimer Candelario. Um, who spent the majority of the season last year with the Washington Nationals before getting shipped off to Chicago to join the Cubs. Um, he'll be in Cincinnati for at least the next three years um, e- playing either of those corner positions that they you know need help at or if they w- where they want to put him. Um, he kind of is an interesting you know uh, player in how last how 2023 ended up uh, running, running away with for him, obviously, you know, let go from the tigers. Uh, I think it was just non-tendered and then the Nationals scooped him up obviously in his last year of his arbitration. So the, you know, they traded him off to, to the Cubs, but he caught fire real early, uh, with the nationals. And then it seems as though maybe in a new environment, you think that it would be kind of good, but Chicago, maybe too big of a spotlight. Maybe, I don't know, especially in the playoff race. Um, kind of, kind of dipped off a little bit. If you look at his, I'm looking at his, uh, PLV rolling charts, which, you know, Scott, Chu would be very proud of me for plugging that and using those, Absolutely. of course. So I want to give that a shout out. <laughs> um, I mean, just look, if you look at his strike zones judgment throughout the year, it was really good. Like he was above 75th percentile, above 90th percentile for a time, um, in the first third and first half of the season. Um, and then for the final, you know, 
third of the season, it was a very, very steep cliff that he that he hit. He ended the season um, in you know right around the twenty fifth percentile, um, well below uh, the average for Major League Baseball. Um, a lot of other, a lot of other aspects of his game kind of kind of stayed steady throughout the time, even after the the move. But if you check over his decision value, pretty much up and down all season, but averaged out around the 50th percentile uh, throughout the course of the season. Um, his swing and aggression did kind of go down with that strike zone judgment. So as his judgment got worse, he also stopped swinging as much. So maybe it was a little bit something in his head where he's like, I, I'm, I'm swinging at the wrong stuff. I don't know. Obviously, all you can do is look at what these charts kind of tell you and make inferences. Um but obviously, we're happy to see him go to a place like Cincinnati to pretty much go the opposite direction of what we're talking about with Lee. Like, you want a guy who's showing this increased power, and his power rolling chart looks fine. <laughs> it looks perfectly fine here. Um, pretty much stayed steady all year round, uh, right around you know 60th percentile, uh, so above league average. Uh, in that room. So it'd be nice to see him get whatever playing time he's going to get in Cincinnati. And that kind of leads me to that, that question is like, what are you expecting to see out of him? As far as playing time, they have a few corner infielders already that, you know, they're kind of tied to as top prospects in the game. Um, what are you expecting his role to be with the Reds and how can he take advantage? I don't know. And this is, this is a, a big situation, uh, just not only for the Reds and their fans, but for, for fantasy players. There's a lot going on here. There's too much going on. Uh, another move has to be coming, one would think, right? Uh, I, I've i drafted Christian and Carcion Strand on, on more than one team. Mm-hmm. Um kind of uh, a little worried now, yeah. of that right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm worried. The news that Jonathan India is going to play first base. That throws another wrinkle into my CES shares and also into Candelario. I Something else has got to happen here, I think. On the surface, a roster resource has Candelario hitting cleanup for the Reds mm-hmm. as an everyday player. That's amazing. Draft him now as often as you can <laughs> if you believe that's going to be the case, right? Um, but... I don't know that it is. Now, obviously, you, you don't give somebody $15 million a year for them not to play. So I think he's in there. So I, I think those of us that need to be worried are the CES and Jonathan India drafters. Uh, I think Candelario, maybe he's not hitting cleanup, but he probably is in the middle third of this order. This is probably great for him. Uh, probably not going to get him at this spot in drafts. Uh, let's see, 257 is his ADP in Gladiators. That was pre-being signed. Uh, the His min pick, 206. His average ADP is going to be earlier than that min pick of 206 by March, uh, especially if people are, are confident in the playing time, which three years, 45 million, he's going to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and whenever if you can get that kind of full time playing time in that position, in I mean, he has some flexibility. You know, he can fill in at both corners, and he can 
DH. So there's going to be lots of opportunities to kind of mix, move them around and get the up, you know, above the 500 plate appearance, close to the 600 plate appearance, especially if he is going to be in that four spot in the lineup um, rather than say the five or the six spot even. Um, so yeah. Um, y- yeah. Hey, one it, other it, thing, the, the concerns with how he ended the season, he was injured. Um, when you go on the IL with a back strain, mm-hmm. they tell us when they think they suffered the injury. We, we don't know. Could have been something that was already lingering. Uh, so I don't put a lot of stock in that last month of the season. That's good. And we, I mean, we talked about this, uh, a couple off seasons ago about like teams handling those injuries in, in, you know, in the spotlight while they're fighting for a playoff. So it's like, do they need this player back early? Do they need to push them? Um, in based on just those two factors, I wonder if the, if the Cubs, you know, maybe push them a little bit more um, after, you know, obviously acquiring him from the Nationals. Um, who's to say, but he's got a nice long off season to get healthy um, and he can, you know, obviously the Reds were were perfectly fine with whatever they saw um, to give him that contract. So I would expect him to be ready to go in 100% for spring training. Uh, another multi-year deal. Not a lot of these to talk about today. We got, I think there's just like uh, two or three. Um, the second one here, Eduardo Rodriguez. He opted out of his deal with Detroit. Didn't take too long to find a new home. Of course, he did not sign with the Dodgers, just like he did not allow them to be allow himself to be traded there mid-season. And we can talk about that all we want. That's a whole nother can of worms. Um, I think, I mean, all right, I'm just going to say this. Like, I personally just think he just, he you put you you get a no trade clause in your contract on purpose so you have f- some feeling of control of what's going on in your life whether it affects your family or yourself or whatever doesn't matter it's in your contract you earned it you can take advantage you can you can opt into it that's how it works i i do not fault him at all for that it's also in his contract that he could opt out of his contract you, you negotiated that you signed it. That's how it works. Um, and then not to, you know, to go somewhere else on another long-term deal. I do not know if he got another no trade clause. I would assume he did. It seemed really important to him to have that control. Um, but anyway, four years, deal, he'll be spending the next four years probably um, in Arizona uh, being pretty much the, uh, you know, the top uh, part of their, um, of their new rotation, obviously with uh, Zach Allen with them as well. Um, does the addition of Eduardo Rodriguez um, push anybody out in your eyes or is he just kind of taking the place of uh, other pieces they left? Obviously you got Merrill Kelly up there as well. Brandon Fott making a name for himself after a horrendous start to the season um, in the playoffs um, doing pretty well um for himself and and others uh that were you know following along um what's your uh, overall take on uh erod being with the diamondbacks well first of all along the lines of turning down the dodgers i i really wonder if he has something personal against the dodgers right not necessarily that i thought that when he exercised his no trade clause which i agree at. It's in his contract. He negotiated for that. Use it however you want. But then to go sign with who is now would be considered their 
division rival, right? You, know, you can say anything you want about the Giants and the Padres. They would, they did not just play in the World Series like Arizona did, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think he wants to go beat the Dodgers now, <laughs> uh, and I, I find that fun. So yeah. that 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 part's cool. Um, and as far as Arizona goes, this is probably still means Brandon fought and Ryan Nelson are in the starting rotation if they can perform. Uh, so if he slides right in there, either between Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly or after the two of them. And I, I think this is a great landing spot for him and a great ad for Arizona. Yeah. It seems to be really the only Southpaw uh, option that they have to start. Um, so I would, I would venture to guess that, you know, if, if either, you know, Ryan Nelson or Brandon fought falter, um, that they would look to see if they could uh, switch things up and add another lefty into the, into the mix, uh, see what happens in spring training and see what kind of options they have. Um, they don't have a ton of options <laughs> um, kind of more working their way up in general in their farm system in Arizona. Um, but we, uh, we do have, you know, Tommy Henry as an option who has some experience at the majors as a lefty Um Blake Walston spent some time at AFL. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to see him or not while you were at first pitch, uh, but he's he's the lefty out there who's on the forty man roster. Um, they don't they don't really have a whole lot of pitchers on the forty man roster in general. Uh, but those are your two lefties: um, Bryce Jarvis, Corbin Martin, also out there. So not, not sure they have a ton of options to fill those roster spots. To your point, Ryan Nelson and Brandon Foss seem to have. I mean, wouldn't. I mean, nothing's locked up, especially in a four or five spot in any rotation. Um, but it seems pretty close when you, I mean, you just look at what they have going on on the roster in general. Um, they don't have any, they don't really have an obvious long man as well that could kind of like force their way in um, as even a sixth man in the rotation at this point, from what I'm seeing. Yeah, a couple of years ago, like a lot of people, I was a big fan of Chris Rodriguez and he hasn't pitched since 2021. Um, so even if he does make his way back in 2024, we're not looking at a ton of innings, but he's somebody to keep an eye on as well. All right. All right. We have way more than I thought we were going to at this point in the show. Um, but we have to take another quick break before we get to all of it. All right, Kevin. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead because I can't go much longer in the show without hitting up all the many moves that your Royals have been making, um, making waves, making waves. We talked about Garrett Hampson a couple episodes ago, um, but they've got a couple new names on the books. Um, you know, as a Red Sox fan, of course, I'm following all these like these little rumors here or there that are being attached to them. Um, We'll get to one actual move that they made later on. But one of the little rumors was like, oh, the Red Sox are connected with Julio Lugo. And I'm like, of course they are. Because it just seems like that's where the Red Sox are going right now. That's the type of player that they are focusing on. They're not focusing on the the big names as they were in like the mid teens uh, of, of the, you know, around 2014, 15, what have you. They're looking after the Hulu logos. And of course, like 24 hours after I saw that tweet connecting the Red Sox to, you know, a decent starter, your Royals grabbed them up. So they add Julio Lugo to their rotation um, in Kansas City. Um, and then 
fill in some bullpen pieces as well with uh, Chris Stratton, Nick Anderson, uh, who's a while back, and then World Series closer slash reliever, um, whatever role you want to give him, Will Smith, the pitcher, um, all become new. Uh, we'll be all be donning the Royals uniform by spring training. Um, what? How? What's your take here? What uh, are you happy about these signings? About what your Royals are doing? And is Will? I mean, the obvious question here of this group is: Is Will Smith the closer on opening day? Well, first of all, I'm ecstatic about all of these moves. Um, not necessarily the specific individual players, but just the fact that the Royals are making these moves, and it's for somebody with apologies to to jordan lyles it's not it's not jordan lyles right (laughs) they're actually trying to add somebody jordan lyles was great i i honestly believe this he did what the royals signed him to do he went out there and threw innings and on occasion he was actually pretty decent but it, it wasn't very often uh they signed julio lugo uh or Excuse me, Seth Lugo. <laughs> Wrong Lugo there for a second. They signed Seth Lugo to to win some ball games, and that that is great as a Royals fan. Uh, I think for him, as far as fantasy goes, it's a great spot. Other than maybe the the chasing wins, as of right now, the Royals still aren't somebody that we're talking about as a a, a contender. Although they're getting into that direction especially in the al central uh the, they're getting closer you don't you don't have to you don't have to be a a hundred win team obviously to win the al central but they're, they're <laughs> no, getting closer i just don't you know uh much over barely getting to double digit wins is probably asking uh quite a bit for seth lugo uh with the royals but the perfect ballpark for him Right. He's he he should have a lot of success, uh, especially in our our fantasy uh, categories, the ratios uh, specifically. He he should go out there and put up a nice fantasy season for us. Uh, 146 innings in 2023 uh, missed a little bit of time. If he, if he can get out there and even 160 would be amazing. Not even going to ask him to do the 180 but it, it it's possible and so i i love the signing the relievers i love every one of them in this bullpen the royals had the worst bullpen in baseball last season and these additions make them a a, a solid bullpen if james MacArthur performs as he did late in the year if john mcmillan performs the way that they hope that he is going to if carlos hernandez if we only get the good carlos hernandez yeah, right, more right, often yeah. and the bad one less offense right so <laughs> the the bullpen is great i don't think any of them is even going to get more than a handful of saves i think the royals want it to be macarthur uh will smith is the only lefty in this bullpen right now he is he may close a game or two here and there, but he they're not saving him for the ninth inning. Uh, Nick Anderson 
three or four years ago, I would have thought, yeah, maybe he takes over this closing job. I don't think that's going to happen. So as far as our fantasy teams go, uh, Lugo, I, I think this is a great landing spot for him. Anybody that had hesitation in where he might end up as far as drafting him, those are remedied. And uh, I think he's a fine pick where he's going. Uh, as far as the relievers go, deep leagues, when you need a setup guy that, you know, the guys we talk about all the time, sure, stream Will Smith once in a while when the Royals have a seven-game week. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think any of them are going to get more than a handful of saves. All right. Uh, who gets more innings and more wins? You can say you can bunch up together or you can say either or between Seth Lugo and Cole Reagans. If everything goes according to plan, I think Seth Lugo actually probably gets more innings and Cole Reagans gets more wins. So you think uh, like the limitation on Reagans for innings may come in like groupings. Um, he won't be pulled early per se, so he won't qualify for wins if he's going to be limited in innings. Because I mean, he had ninety what ninety six total innings last year um, between his short time in Texas and then the majority of the second half in in Kansas City. Uh, if he's going to get up to you know one thirty one forty on the year. Um, that's probably comes with some missed time in your, in your, in your estimation. And, and I think with them strengthening the bullpen, I think ideally they do want to conserve him for throughout the season. I don't think they're going to pull him after five on a regular basis, but I think if, if he's out there and, and the Royals have a decent lead, they'll, they'll rely on this new fortified bullpen. I think uh, Lugo 34 years old, they're going to say, hey, but give us six or seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we we saw the Royals, uh, I want to say mishandle um, uh, Reagans, but probably out of necessity, as your point, the bullpen wasn't doing them any favors. Um, but definitely had, Reagans, as good as he looked in most of the time, uh, looked like he was forced to go out there probably a little bit longer than he probably should have based on obviously the results in that final in those final outs. And he showed some fatigue towards the end of the year. Mm -hmm. All right. Another uh, reliever signing in a position that literally everybody, and in my opinion, everybody should have seen coming. Uh, Craig Kimbrell signs a one-year deal with a team option for 2025 with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, the obvious successor to Felix Bautista while well, he's on sabbatical. Uh, yeah, I'm just calling it a sabbatical now instead of talking negatively about the injuries. Uh, he's just taking some time off. <laughs> Craig Kimball most likely is the closer on opening day for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Yenier Cano is still being drafted uh, right alongside uh, Kimball for the most part in, in a lot of drafts that I've been in, at least. Um, even after the signing happened, obviously it went he went down a little bit, but uh, how much confidence are you having in Kimbrell keeping, holding the job in, in Baltimore, assuming this is literally why they signed him to this kind of a deal? It is why they signed him. I have all the confidence in the world. He is the closer going into the season, and he is the closer uh, until he works his way out of it. I don't have as much confidence that that will not happen. 
Um, we have seen stints when he hasn't been great in the past. Uh, usually it's when he's not the closer, but uh, we, we've seen we've seen him struggle in the ninth inning as well at times. Uh, but I think for now you draft him as the everyday closer for one of the the best teams in baseball, and it's probably probably doesn't surprise anybody that with an ADP in the Gladiator leagues of one ninety three, min pick of eighty eight max pick of 262 that min pick of 88 was the most recent draft yes right (laughs) it probably doesn't (laughs) surprise anybody now that we know for certain that he ended up where many thought he would but that that verification has has made him a, a sixth round pick in gladiator leagues these are the types of i mean that these are the types of signings that why people when they say they draft early because they're trying to find you know the diamonds in the rough so they're trying to get these guys while their adp is really low while they can get some value out of it um and these are these are those things that you spotlight (laughs) when you're trying to make that argument for drafting early and trying to find those things um i mean in my opinion the writing was on the wall kimberl was going to find a spot where he was going to close um even in philadelphia you know no matter how many fans of all the different teams he's played for will tell you that you know they make he's always makes uh, their heart skip a beat he always finds his way into that closer role and for the mo- you know still performs enough where a, as a fantasy manager you're happy. <laughs> you're happy enough with what those results end up being as a fan of that team and being nervous, more nervous than you really want to be in the final inning. Um, that's a, that's a different, that's a different scenario. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things that is, is, is so exhilarating, but so maddening at the same time. If you're a fan of a team that has one of these heart attack save guys, but what's interesting, if you, if you look at the chart of his, of his draft uh, position uh, on the NFBC website, he was rarely being drafted inside the top 200 until five days ago. Yep. And since then, he's been drafted inside the top 100 in two of the six drafts um, that have occurred in the past five days and inside the top 150 in all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, so had, don't that, be had that open. That it was EP and, and, and thinking you're getting him anywhere close to there. Nope. He's jumped close to 100 picks due to the signing. Yeah, I mean, this is a hundred win team that he's going on, and they're just gonna yeah, exactly. they're just gonna get better next year. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna give him plenty of opportunities. Um, all right, a couple other smaller. Let's go back up to Cleveland. They make a couple of smaller signings and a trade. Um, it's one of those things where it's like you see a signing come through, and you're like, "Huh?" Um, Austin Hedges signs a multi year deal with the Cleveland Guardians, um, and you're like, "Oh." That seems odd. They have enough catchers as as it is, um, and then they go off and trade Christian Betancourt to the Miami Marlins, and then you start questioning. Wait, them? And you're like, why? <laughs> uh, on top of that, Ben Lively joins the team as well. Um, I mean, is this a situation where they just don't? They they need somebody like Hedges, and this is a this is a good deal for Hedges. This is I mean this is probably the best deal he was going to find 
pretty much anywhere um, as far as years and money go, in my opinion. Um, but is this just a matter of not trusting Bo Naylor behind the plate on a regular basis and wanting to make sure that they have um, that, you know, defensive first catcher that is going to play, you know, maybe even take 50% of the time behind the plate. Um, I guess my question is like, how much do you trust Bo Naylor to be, you know, to get at bats with it, with this kind of a move? I think he's losing some definitely. Uh, I, it also has to do with the, the, the young up and coming pitching staff, I think getting a guy like hedges in there. Uh, and that doesn't always have to be in game, right? It can be in the clubhouse, in the bullpen, sure. uh, through at practices throughout the week and all through spring training. But uh, it it's concerning because he is great defensive catcher and is going to play some behind the plate. Cleveland already has uh, Josh Naylor and hopefully Kyle Manzardo uh, switching off at designated hitter. So that is going to cost Bo Naylor time, in, in my opinion. Uh, and they, anywhere Austin Hedges ended up, it was going to cost the catcher they already had some sure. playing time. Uh, and we don't have any interest in Hedges as far as fantasy goes. Um, it's not going to be probably a ton of playing time. And when it is, he can't hit. But it, it's going to cost um, Bo Naylor like it would have just 25 out of 30 catchers in the league. It would have cost time probably. Yeah, and on top of that, um, just adding any any interest in Ben Lively joining the, this squad? Um, not not as of now. Another one of those things to keep an eye on, but it's not something I'm, that I'm interested in at the moment. Fair enough. All right. Um, Washington's made a bunch of moves. Let's just talk about one of them real quick. Uh, Nick Senzel, he signed a one-year deal with the Washington Nationals. Um, I, 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 I've been looking for it while we've been talking, so I could quote it and I can't. But I do remember seeing uh, another tweet that the Nationals uh, talked about how they're not going to be signing people to block players. So this would make me believe that Senzel is there to play. Like they're signing him not to block someone else, but at the same time, they're not going to sign him to not play as well. Uh, can he be useful again if he well of course with Senzel it's always can he stay healthy enough to be useful uh, for any stretch period of time um, how much uh, can, can he basically do what uh, Jaime Candelario did last year going into the Nationals for on a one year deal to kind of m- make good on all that pedigree all, all the all the hype he had as a prospect um, in a new environment I would I, I think he'll be okay. Uh, my problem with Nick Senzel is he, he's still a popular name in most draft rooms and, and often gets drafted before I would even consider him. But at, as in general, I think this is a, a good landing spot for him. Uh, roster resource has him in the sixth spot. And I can see him being a, a spot or two higher than that in the lineup, definitely the middle third of the lineup. And if, he, if he's going to play every day, then we're looking at his projections ending up at a 15, 15, 
65 to 70 runs an RBI guy with a batting average that doesn't kill you. I mean, 240 isn't great but it's not going to hurt our fantasy teams too much. We're going to have some guys on our fantasy teams that hit 240 or below. Uh, so <laughs> I I, I kind of like this landing spot for him. I'm just worried Senzel's always been a popular name. And if the, you know, his name being in the news due to the signing increases that even more, uh, then he's, he's probably uh, going to be, price too high for me uh but he's not somebody um i'm neglecting i'm i'm he's he's gonna be on my radar and and hope he falls a little bit all right um let's jump around a little bit um let's talk about real quick we got a couple of bullpen we talked about your royals um getting in on the bullpen uh depth here and we have a couple other teams making some smaller moves to do so just wondering if you see any road to any of these guys being any more valuable than those kind of streamers that we talked about, uh, those relievers being. We got Dylan Floro, who has had some save uh, experience um, in Miami, um, both good and bad. Uh, he signs a one-year deal with Washington. Uh, Andrew Chafin goes back to the Tigers. And then Joe Kelly signs back with the Dodgers. He will not be wearing number 17. We'll get to that later, of course. Uh, any one of these guys in their new situations kind of, you know, do they become the, the automatic number two guy? Do they fight for, uh, save opportunities at any point during the 2024 season? I don't see any of these guys being the, the surefire number two and sliding in. If the, the, the ninth inning guy goes down or gets moved, I see them all as guys that will be available to us if and when we need them. Uh, hopefully get us some strikeouts and pad our ratios a little bit, depending on matchups for the week. And um, I, 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 I think all of them are, are in a nice spot, but I don't see any of them moving into a, a full-time closer role with any of these teams, mm -hmm. regardless of what happens with anyone else on the roster. But I mean, any one of them could end up with a handful of saves. So when, when you're in need, depending on the schedule and matchups for that week, any one of them will be a possibility and probably be available. I will say the commonality that I saw between all these signings, and I agree, I don't think any of these guys are like knocking at the door to, you know, even be the eighth inning guy, never mind the closer. Um, but all of the closers on these teams in Washington with Finnegan, with, you know, Lang, and if he still got that role in Detroit, um, and then Evan Phillips in LA with the Dodgers, assuming that all three of those guys are the quote closers, they're all arbitration eligible guys. And we talk about this all the time. I bring it up a lot. Um, Grant Washburn on the show, you know, months ago, uh, talking about his research done into that. Um, and how much saves actually matter when it comes to arbitration hearings. And we're going to hear a lot more about arbitration hearings in, you know, in the coming weeks um, and, you know, in, in months or even. I, you know, wonder if they get to a point where these teams want to, you know, none of these teams, except, I mean, two out of these three teams are, you know, not necessarily fighting for something. Obviously, there's a lot of 
a lot of talk about the Nationals being better than we think and, and the Tigers trying to make strides, but you know they're still not the number one contenders in their division. Um, never mind their leagues and whether or not they want to you know scrimp and save and scrape some pennies uh, in those arbitration hearings for those three guys um, next year. So not something that I'm putting a lot of stock into for this, but it is always something that's in the back of my mind. Um, all right, we mentioned Joe Kelly signing with the Dodgers. Um, and I don't think there was any other decent news to talk about as far as anybody they might have signed, so we can move on from them. Um, though there is a rumor going around. We'll get to the we'll get to the rumor first. Um, that it is still technically a rumor. We saw Rosenthal, Trevor Rosenthal actually tweet something about it. So it is it's got a little bit more credence, if you will, that they are looking at trading for Tyler Glass now from Tampa Bay, um, a small package being sent over, obviously, class down his last year of his contract. Um, how, I mean, how are you, how do you, and we talked about this with the rumors around Bo Bichette a couple, you know, weeks ago. Um, obviously, nothing has come from that so far, but this one, this one seems like it's a little bit closer to a done deal. We've got a lot of different outlets talking about it, um, you know, and when Rosenthal chimes in, you know, obviously, you would assume something is really close. Um, how do you draft if you're up and Glasnow is like at ADP and you were considering him? Um, and you, do you jump him assuming he's already made that move? Um, or maybe you push him back because he's, you feel like he's going into a worse situation. Um, but like, how do you kind of weigh these kind of situations uh, when you're in the middle of a draft, which we're in? I mean, I'm, I'm on the clock right now for <laughs> not to draft class now, but I'm on, I'm on the clock in a draft right now. Um, I think the positive and negatives here for glass now kind of even out. And I think if you're interested in glass now and considering drafting him where you have to, to, to get him, uh, you go ahead and make that move. I, I think the, the downside is, um, that the Dodgers learned with Kershaw that they need to manage his innings and manage his health and i think they will do the same with class now that could mean less innings early in the year however if it works it means more innings later in the year and uh overall so i i think if you're if you're in on glass now you're still in on glass now uh i i really like the idea i mean not everybody's going to do what Zach Eflin did. Not everybody's mm-hmm. going to do what, what everybody at Tampa. But I, I, I'm i somebody that has drafted Pepio in a couple of spots, and I wouldn't be upset at all. You would typically be really upset if somebody you drafted left the Dodgers. I would be upset at all to see Pepio end up in Tampa. Yeah, I mean, going into Tampa as a pitcher, um, you, you – there's a lot of variables, right? They're a good team. They're going to, prov- you know, as long as you can go five, they're going to provide you with the opportunity to take home a win. Um, but they're also, you know, depending on what kind of contract you have, what, you know, what kind of records you have in the past, Eflin, you know, got signed a long-term, or, you know, as far as the Rays are concerned, a long-term deal. Um, and, you know, you kind of saw the writing on the wall that he was going to be pushed. He, like he was going to be given, he was Reigns were going to be taken off and he was going to be able to run with it. Um, I wonder if a situation like Pepio coming in, he's still just under control. It's not so much a contract. Uh, I wonder how much uh, 
how how much they take the reins off of him or anybody else in that kind of a situation. So a lot a lot of variables going into Tampa Bay, of course, especially as a pitcher. Um, all right. Well, of course, we saw the other Dodgers, and I'm just getting right into it. No more, no more, no more beating around the bush. Uh, of course, Shohei Itani was never on that plane. Uh, it's like DB Cooper. Uh, <laughs> somehow he fell out of the plane, uh, but he was never on the plane, as Bob Nightingale said. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. Um, he was right. He does sign with the Los Angeles Dodgers on a 10-year deal. Probably a ten-year deal. Um, I want to. I want to make sure I'm clear about this. There is a fun clause that was just announced today that's in his contract that he gets an opt-out if uh, current president of baseball operations Andrew Friedman or the controlling owner Mark Walter they if they lose their positions or change their positions otani then has the opportunity to opt out at the end of that season it's an amazing clause um not to mention of course the 68 million of the 70 million he's getting per year uh, being deferred every single year throughout the 10 years of that of that contract um i got many texts <laughs> from people in my home league saying, did you negotiate this contract? Cause it seems like a, 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 a rule or a trade that I would have, I would have done in my trading home league. Um, I'm get very, I get very creative in the, in what, how I negotiate my trades and some people laugh at it. Some people will get annoyed by it. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, so he, more than likely Otani is with the Dodgers for the next 10 years or so. Um, I mean, obviously, this is not this is not impacting. Like, look at his ADP. He's at the he's at the turn right now. Um, at in in most leagues, whether you're in twelve or fifteen, he's, he's being drafted right around there. Um, he's obviously only going to DH for twenty twenty four. He's not an option um, coming out of the bullpen or in the rotation until twenty twenty five. At least that's the expectation I'm running with. Um, how is this impacting the rest of the Dodgers? I mean, obviously with this kind of a deferment, it's been noted that the Dodgers can keep spending and keep building around him um, every single year. Um, but I mean, how are you looking? Obviously we talked about it off air. This obviously means JD Martinez is going to go elsewhere. Not, you know, if you were thinking he was going to come back, that's no longer an option for him. There's nowhere for him to play. Um, what's your take on the rest of this? Uh, if they do have all this money, where do they spend it? What holes do they have still that they can, they can, you know, spend this extra money on to, uh, better this roster around him. I, I think it's still pitching. Whether it whether they end up with Glass now or not, whether they end up with Yamamoto or not, um, as of right now, Ryan Yarborough and Emmett Sheehan, who who had some uh, some decent innings towards the end of the season, but I don't think that the the Dodgers are planning on counting on these guys in their rotation. This is also considering uh, Walker Bueller coming back from injury. Roster resource has him right at the top of the rotation right now. I don't know that we can count on that. So I think they're still looking at pitching. When when you have a lineup with Mookie Betts, Shohei Otani, and Freddie Freeman being followed by Will Smith, Max Muncy, probably James Altman, uh, I don't think you care what the bottom third of your order is offensively. <laughs> They'll be looking for 
guys that play defense and and platoon guys like Jason Hayward, who they have on the roster, right? Just we talked about him a couple weeks ago. I think it's more pitching they're going after. And like you said, uh, and we talked off air, I think the the only way this affects um the the rest of their roster is it definitely means JD Martinez is not coming back to the Dodgers. Yeah. Um yeah, and then everybody else on the roster is going to keep any kind of eligibility. Any 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 fears you had of, you know, Max Muncy being a DH or or you know, anybody else that you wanted to see get off the field uh pretty much solidifies them of having that eligibility going into 2025 um if not more so. Um all right. Well, yeah, not a lot to talk about with Otani. Obviously, it's a big signing. Got to talk about it. Got to bring it up. Uh, a couple of minor league contracts that came in. We'll bunch these all together as well, Kevin. Tell me which one of these you think has, um, I guess, the best chance of making the major league squad out of spring training um, and then also putting anything together early enough that catches our eye and thinks that they're actually going to put some playing time together. We got Juan Yepes signing a one-year minor league deal with the Washington Nationals. That's that third deal I alluded to earlier. Uh, Jorge Alfaro signs a minor league contract with the Cubs with an invite to spring training. And then Trace Thompson, we talked about a little earlier as well, signs a minor league deal with the New York Mets, assuming he gets an invite as well. And then the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, they signed Willie Calhoun to a minor league contract as well. So we got four other minor league deals happening in the last uh, two weeks or so. Uh, which one of these catches your eye, if any, um, and think you think that maybe you're not drafting any of these right now, but guys are either want to know what's happening in spring training. Maybe you have an opportunity to spend um, some early, you know, $1 bids in fab in April. Yeah, that all four of these guys catch my eye in that all four of them I've rostered in the past or still on dynasty leagues for way too long. <laughs> uh, that that's what sticks out with with all four of these guys. I really don't have I really don't have any interest in any of them unless we start seeing something completely different. I'll definitely keep an eye on Trace Thompson. I, I still think he could hit for power in the major leagues, not a high average dependent, but if I, I don't see him getting playing time right now. Willie Calhoun, I've been fooled by him way too many times. Alfaro uh, has has shown flashes if he ends up on a major league roster, whether it's with the Cubs or someone else. It's all he's somebody I'll always keep an eye on. And Juan Yepes is probably the most disappointing to me of all of these guys. He just he's a power hitter that doesn't hit the ball hard. And it's crazy that he has shown the the power he has in the minor leagues. And I don't think, uh, unless there's some big changes, we're ever going to see that at the major league level. His hard contact percentage is four and a half points below league average. And in 2023, it was only 15.4%. That's over 10 percentage points below league average you can't not hit the ball hard and be a successful power hitter in major league baseball uh i i just don't see it so not much interest in any of them keep an eye on all of them of course i think the the two that that 
would pique my interest the most if I started seeing playing time uh, are Trace Thompson and Jorge Alfaro. Um, Jorge Alfaro, uh, you mentioned he signs with the Cubs going over to across, uh, across town to the White Sox. They got a new catcher as well. Um, as I'm going to chip away at all the different moves that Atlanta made over the course of the last (laughs) two or three weeks. Um, this is Atlanta has made some fun moves. Like it's just one of those things where it's like, some of them were obvious. Some of them were announced like, all right, we traded for this guy, but we're going to trade him again in a second. And that was Max. And they did. Um, and they, yeah, they were true to their word. <laughs> um, but like, I, I made a joke in the discord. I was like, this is like, like deals you make in your fancy. Like where it's like, Hey, take this guy. I bet you, you can flip him for someone else. I just don't want to have to deal with it, but he has value just not to me, someone else. Um, and that's exactly what Atlanta was willing to do with all these situations. Uh, they got Marco Gonzalez from Seattle and they flipped him over to Pittsburgh. Uh, Evan White also coming over from Seattle now lands in uh, in Anaheim um, after being sent to Atlanta for, you know, maybe an overnight stay uh, from Seattle. Max Stassi goes to the White Sox, uh, supposedly probably becoming their starting catcher um, after being acquired by Atlanta from the Angels as well. Uh, and then they traded for David Fletcher from the Angels, who's still on Atlanta's roster. So for now, we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> um, but did did any of these guys go to a better situation? Like n- none of them. I think we expected to stay in Atlanta. Like, I guess I wouldn't have been too surprised to see Marco Gonzalez stay in Atlanta um, just because, you know, they had their history with pitching injuries last year and could have used, you know, an innings eating uh, pitcher like Gonzalez in their rotation, perhaps. Um, but Evan White has nowhere, had nowhere to play. Max Stassi had nowhere to play. Um, we'll see what happens with David Fletcher and what his, I mean, he, he kind of fits the bill of a, a bench guy for them anyway, um, who can play multiple positions. Um, but like, do any of these guys find themselves in a better situation now than they found themselves at the end of last season? Well, Max Stassi, cause he didn't play last season, so, <laughs> Fair. Uh, but I, I think he, he, Probably that this is concerning. I know, I know some people are pretty high on Corey Lee uh, uh, for the White Sox going into 2024. Max Stassi's going to play. Maybe he's not the number one guy, but to start the season, I would guess it's at least 50-50, if not a 60-40 in Max Stassi's favor. And, and the guy can take a walk strikes out quite a bit but when he's taking his walks and running into one every once in a while you know 13 home runs in 2021 nine in 2022 if he's gonna get 300 to 350 400 plate appearances he's probably a double digit home run guy and he's gonna be talked about a lot on our show throughout the season as other catchers start getting injured if Uh, He is getting that playing time uh, because he will probably be available in a lot of leagues. And depending on the matchups for the week, he'll be somebody we'll be interested in. And Max Stassi at the end of his three-year deal, uh, making roughly around $5.5 million uh, for 2024, does have a club option for 2025. 
that'll be up to the White Sox how they want to deal with that um, come trade deadline, which is where I would expect to see Max Stassi's name come up um, a little bit more often as well come the end of July based on that contract. And obviously it'll it'll be based on how he performs um, in that first half for the White Sox as well. Um, All right, let's uh, move on to the other, the two big trades that happened, obviously one a little bit bigger than the other. Um, We will start off with the bigger of the two. Juan Soto is traded again in his very young career. Obviously, it's pretty rare to see a player of his caliber get traded twice um, before, you know, before becoming a free agent outright, um, regardless of his age. And he he gets sent to New York, which is where a lot of people expected him to be anyway, <laughs> at, at one point or another. Um, joining him is Trent Grisham. Uh, so the outfield in San Diego looks a whole lot different now. Uh, the Yankees received Soto and Grisham. Padres, in return, got a whole bunch of pitching. Uh, Michael King, Drew Thorpe, who was the minor league pitcher of the year, as we talked about in the last episode. Uh, right-handed pitcher, Johnny Brito, and Randy Vasquez. And then catcher, Kyle Hikishoko. Shoka, excuse me. Um, they all get shipped off to San Diego. So um, do, does San Diego do anything to fill the outfield void that these two guys uh, are leaving? And then... Uh, I mean, are we concerned about all the the tweets that you might have been seeing about how the Yankee Stadium actually might not be that helpful for Soto? Um, in in you know, based on spray charts and and just history of the team, I'm more curious to know what this hole does for San Diego than it does um, for Soto moving to New York. Excuse me, um, I have no idea uh, what San Diego is doing right now. Uh, I'm not sure anybody does, uh, right right now. Roster resource has non-roster invitee Cal Mitchell as their starting left fielder and Jose Azucar as their starting center fielder. I doubt that is what happens. It's just Tatis just covering early as, as opening day. Right. (laughs) Uh, I, I really don't see that. Um, it, it it's yeah no idea is my answer when it comes to San Diego I do expect them probably to sign uh, a a couple at least one if not a couple uh, outfielders that don't cost as much as Juan Soto would have costed them to to extend uh, but and the Yankees then they're I I don't have any concerns for for Juan Soto. I get it. Maybe some people are overblowing the New York Yankees ballpark for Juan Soto. I I understand that point and the, and that probably is the case. But worried about him? Absolutely not. Uh we know he hits the ball on the ground way more than we would like him to. He's still very young. If he ever st- starts hitting the ball in the air a little more often, especially in that ballpark, we're going to see a huge change in his home run totals. But I think we're going to see at least what we saw in San Diego. We're not going to project many people, including Juan Soto, for more than that 35 home runs anyway. So zero worries at all. 
All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and then all these arms heading to the to the Padres. Um, obviously, the Padres not re-signing uh, or extending uh, Josh Hader. He's still a free agent. Um, it, it doesn't really seem like there's an obvious name on this list that would fill in there. I'm assuming Michael King is in the rotation, um, at least to start the year, especially based on what he did at, toward the end of the season. Um, Drew Thorpe is, you know, a starter that, you know, Jake talked about last episode. Uh, he would expect him to be up at some point this year, and maybe it's a little faster in San Diego than it would have been in New York. Um, are you seeing any noticeable contributions from this group now that they're in San Diego, a little bit of a friendlier ballpark for pitchers in general, um, and just in this situation? Yeah, I already liked Michael King, and I like him a little bit more now due to the ballpark, due to being a, a, a right-handed pitcher uh, in that ballpark. So, yeah, I think this gives Michael King a, a little bit of a bump. All right, all right. All right, the other trade on the uh, on the docket here uh, happened with, we got one Yankees trade, and we got one Red Sox trade. Of course, they made their Alex Verdugo trade earlier. Um, I didn't look at our notes. I don't even know if we talked about that. I think we might have hit that one last week. But yes, of course, Alex Verdugo also in the outfield for the Yankees now. Um, but the Red Sox trade for a replacement outfielder by the name of Tyler O'Neill with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, he'll be in uh, in the outfield at Fenway through the 2024 season. Um, they part ways with prospect pitching, uh, pitchers, Nick Robertson and Victor Santos going to St. Louis. Um, it's funny. We probably going to touch on it a little bit as our last point, the rule five draft happened as well. And the Cardinals also picked, um, a pitcher from the Red Sox as well. So the Cardinals are just taking, they, they have three arms from the Boston, from the Boston farm system, um, that they didn't have before due to this trade and the rule five draft. Um, Tyler O'Neill in Fenway Park. And, you know, I talked to friends of mine and um, I'm I'm probably more of a fan than it of it than they are, um, just because I think this this park is going to play up for Tyler O'Neill very well. You know, you see I, I see I already seen multiple memes of the green monster with, you know, Swiss cheese holes in it, um, assuming that he's going to take full advantage of that wall and the way that, that park is built um, with his hitting style. And the power that he brings, um, I, I'm happy about it. It just came at the heels of the Yankees getting Juan Soto in their outfield, <laughs> and so I think there's a little bit of a from a Red Sox fan perspective, a little bit of bitterness, obviously, with the way that the team has uh, had a history of spending and going after major players and whatnot, and then you feel as though you're getting, you know, the 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 leftovers um, when you, when this happens, especially when it happens like back to back the way it did. Um, does this move the needle for you with Tyler O'Neill being in Fenway park rather than Bush stadium where you would assume he's going to get regular playing time, if not all play all the playing time um, and being in that, uh, that f- the friendly confines of Fenway. I absolutely love this for Tyler O'Neill. Um, I think this is what he needs. Uh, I heard uh, DVR and Eno Saris talking that uh, Tyler O'Neill has told Eno in the past that he likes to let the ball travel, which means he's 
He wants to see it longer. He's not hitting it out front. He's not pulling the ball. Nobody, no right-handed hitter goes to Boston and doesn't try to pull the ball. And that's what we want to see from Tyler O'Neill. So I absolutely love it. Even if he, in his mind, tells himself that he's still going to spray the ball, you can't when that green monster is this? Of the cold is this screaming at you. Yeah. Right. You're <laughs> pulling the ball. And that's what we want to see from Tyler O'Neill. I love this. What I love even more is, yes, he has been drafted a little earlier since this trade, but he's still going outside the top 200 in the handful of drafts that have completed since then. Uh, and that's including gladiators that are being drafted uh, fast drafts. So it wasn't like these drafts were already started and somebody grabbed him as soon as they heard the news, it's like uh, we knew about the trade prior to the draft and he's still going outside the top 200. I love it. Um, the only thing I didn't love about it, and this is just my own personal biases, is that as soon as the Verdugo trade happened, um, I jumped uh, Rafael Sedania uh, and Willie Ibar in, in the same draft um, a couple rounds each. <laughs> and then about... Mm, later on that day, maybe the next day that they announced this trade, I'm like, oh, all right, well, back to back to where we were. <laughs> uh, so I would like to see those guys obviously get a little bit of extra playing time. Um, but I'm 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 happy for the landing spot for O'Neill for sure. Um, uh, one of one of those two is probably still getting a good amount of playing time, right? It's not going to knock both of them out. No, not not necessarily. There were already rumors. I mean, uh, if you go back and look at uh, Zimmerman's uh, mining the news from like early October, there was already talks of uh, Sedania being um, starting the possibility of him actually starting in AAA anyway um, to work on his hitting a little bit more. He does have a little bit more flexibility. I mean, he had a game or two at shortstop last year. He could be mm-hmm. that. He could end up filling in at second base. Um, the Sox still don't have anybody really to play second base. Um, I mean, Emmanuel Valdez is roster resources choice at the moment in a platoon, um, with probably Bobby Dahlbeck, I guess, <laughs> or, uh, Pablo Reyes. Um, and so there's a possibility that there's a little bit more flexibility there. Um, but either, either way they're, you know, they're still not like the number one guys in that outfield between Jaron Duran playing center field. Uh, I mean, Sedani can play center field with the best of them as well. Um, but Abar playing uh, right field to fill in for, for Nugo still makes sense. Cause you know, O'Neill playing in left field um, in front of that monster. Always curious to see how, how a player um, performs in left field at Fenway um, when they, you know, hadn't played there before and how they, you know, are we going to see more Manny Ramirez's type type of situations, or somebody who can you know they can, they can they can Manny was great off the wall um, once he got once he got the uh, hang of it, um, but obviously all anybody re- actually remembers are like the bloopers that you see him um, in in the outfield doing some fun different things. Um, so I'll be curious to see how quickly O'Neill adjusts to that position in left field um, with Yoshida probably being the everyday DH maybe filling and maybe keeping the outfield eligibility enough, um, but not being out there regularly. And, and just give us a healthy Tyler O'Neill. That's all you and need. He's played, I mean, that's what he's you played over a hundred games one time in his career. And that one time he hit 34 home runs, stole 15 bases and hit 286. <laughs> right. Just, <laughs> and I, I, that's what I would expect from him. 
if he's healthy and gives us that 140 games that he that he got in, in yeah. 2021, sure. right? With with the the move to Fenway. So yeah, just give us a healthy Tyler O'Neill. All right. Last thing we'll end here on is a quick see if you anything anything stands out for you from the Rule Five draft, Kevin. Uh, that did conclude recently. Um, only a handful of picks actually made. Um, I'll go through them really quickly. You can find them if you Google them. But uh, the A's ended up, and all of these teams, the, the, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why teams don't make picks in the Rule 5 draft. But one of the major ones is that they don't have any roster spots for them. You can't really make a pick if you already have a roster of 40, right? All these guys, all these teams have less than 40 uh, people on their current roster. The A's, uh, they pick a pitcher, Mitch Spence from the Yankees, the Royals, your Royals picked uh, Matt Sauer from the Yankees. So the Yankees top two picks came from their system. Uh, Rockies pick up right-handed pitcher, Anthony Molina from Tampa Bay. White Sox pitcher, uh, White Sox picked a left-handed pitcher, Shane Doran from Boston. Nationals picked up the first positional player, shortstop, Nazim Nunez from Miami. Cardinals picked pitcher Ryan Fernandez from Boston. So Boston, again, losing two arms uh, as they did last year in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, Mets picked, this is, it's always fun, there's always one of these every year. Uh, the Mets picked Justin Slayton from Texas, then traded him to Boston for Ryan Ammons. Um, so I always like to see that somebody makes a pick in the draft just so they can trade him somewhere else. Guardians picked uh, the other of the two positional players, third base uh, prospect, Davison De Los Santos from Arizona, who MLB Pipeline had as, I believe, their number five prospect in the Arizona system um, at the time. Padres grabbed Steven Kolek from Seattle, right-handed pitcher, and then the Rangers grabbed Carson Coleman, another right-handed pitcher from the Yankees. So the Yankees lost three arms um, from their system as well. Recap of what the Rule 5 draft means. Basically, it's minor league players that have been in the system too long without being uh, put on the 40-man roster. Uh, Once they're eligible for it, they can be drafted in the Rule 5 draft, and their new team has to have them on the opening day roster, and they have to be on their major league roster all year round. If they want to send them down, they have to offer them back to the team that they drafted them from. and there's a minor league minor league version of this as well. We're not getting into that one, um, but that's basically the same thing for players that were not protected on a AAA roster at least um, as well. So, any we we see this every year. Mostly pitchers that are getting drafted in this. Um, there are two positional players as there was last year. Uh, Blake Sabal comes to mind from last year, who you know did did some things. Um, and he, you know, made a name for himself in San Francisco, um, after being, he was the guy who was drafted by, he was drafted by Cincinnati and then traded to San Francisco, stayed on the roster all year. Um, and he's still, you know, a piece of that roster, active roster in San Francisco. Either one of these guys stand out as having an opportunity with Nunez as a middle infielder shortstop in Miami. Or De Los Santos, uh, you know, being a third baseman by trade now in Cleveland. Yeah, I think Nunez is one of those guys that we might be talking about throughout the season as, you know, he doesn't have to be in the starting lineup to mm. get us a stolen base, right? The, the guy can fly. 
Hey, he stole <laughs> he stole 33 bases in 52 games in 2021. <laughs> and how many yeah, at, how many Able, of those did he start? Right? <laughs> right? Uh, and yeah, only well, he he was playing. He was playing. Sure, it's a yeah, 28 20, yeah. playing appearances in 52 uh, game so so he was actually playing but I, I mean he's backed that up he had 70 stolen bases across high a and double a in 123 games uh in 2022 another 52 stolen bases in 125 games at double a in 2023 he's he's not he's not taking cj abram's spot uh he has zero power uh, in spite of the the five home runs he he did hit uh, in Double A for Miami uh, this year, but uh, no power to speak of. He's also a great fielder, though, so he's a guy we'll see late in games for Washington. Right, he has to be on the active roster, mm-hmm. and he can actually be useful. So he may stick. So we we'll, we'll we'll probably talk about him when we're talking streaming stolen bases a couple of times throughout the season. Right. De Los Santos, complete opposite. Right. (laughs) No speed, tons of power, but big strikeout numbers. And in fact, uh, Steamer hasn't projected for better strikeout rate than I thought they might at 27.4%. If we see a 27% strikeout rate or lower, we might see him getting some playing time. He's on the roster. We've been expecting a lot of us have i'm one of them has been expecting kyle manzardo and josh naylor to split time at first base and designated hitter de los santos is on the active roster now and manzardo isn't as at this point so he may be that dh we see splitting time with josh naylor this is something to keep an eye on uh he's not gonna hit for a high average, but he's got big power. So if he somehow does make his way into this lineup and there there is an opening, he has to be on the roster. Uh it's somebody to keep an eye on. Uh his his 2023 uh prospect report has him uh at 25 for game power right now. 70 raw power but future they have him as a 60 game power guy that that's huge we don't see that very often with guys with these uh, uh big strikeout numbers uh they 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 think he can develop into to something here so i i'm keeping an eye on both hitters the pitchers none of them are going to get into a, a starting rotation none of them are probably going to become the closer they all are going to get an opportunity and they're going to be in the bullpens once again they have to be on the active roster so as long as they're performing in that role they're they're worth keeping an eye on uh like the the others we talked earlier uh for our ratios for our strikeouts stumbling into a save and or a win here or there uh they're, they're going to be worth uh watching because they they could move into that role i don't see any of them moving into a rotation or a ninth Mm -hmm. inning role though for 2024 Uh, both hitters are a little intriguing though yeah fair enough i mean a lot of the i won't say a lot of them but a handful of these pitchers are going to get sent back um i mean this happens every year great thing about it right yeah it 
you can they can give up on them if they want. Yeah, uh, it's a little <laughs> more difficult with the, the hitters. I think they'll they'll both get a, at least a, and especially with uh, Nunez's defense and speed. Uh, I mean, I, it's that's uh, we got a lot of these utility guys around the league. We talk about them throughout the season when we're talking about streaming stolen bases and. If they get in a game at the end as a defensive replacement pinch runner, they can be valuable for fantasy. Yeah, I mean, the Los Santos situation in Cleveland, of course, you know, makes me wonder, does Manzardo even make the opening day roster and then that's, that's, that's kind of my and not get, you know, get the extra year of control rather than shoot for the rookie of the year, uh, you know, bonus. So, yeah, De Los Santos at, uh, at DH and Josh Naylor at first base. I could see that happening. Yeah. All right. Well, there was a lot of news and we got to all of it. At least I was on the list. I don't think I skipped anything. I moved the things around, but we didn't. Uh, I don't think we skipped anything. So non-news related, Kevin, do you have anything else uh, worth sharing with our listeners to keep in mind as they uh, continue to draft through December? Not just enjoy the next couple of weeks, enjoy the holidays, whichever ones you may be celebrating and uh, try to try to squeeze in some drafts here and there. And we have a 15 team draft coming up. Uh, Anybody is interested. Uh, Fab League. We did one earlier in the season for those that may not remember. uh, Same rules on NFBC as the main event. 15 team Mm -hmm. Fab League. But we do not have an overall. All of the all of the payouts go back to the league from the entry fees. So it's a good time. And if you want to jump in an NFBC 15 team fab league to, to give the NFBC site a shot, this is a, a perfect opportunity. Yeah. Good. Easy, easy access. If you will, it's from a, at least from a price points perspective um, and good practice as well. If you are looking to do, you know, the main event or any other 15 team uh, league later on, nice to do some early on ones, uh, and do it with us because um, it's a ton of fun and it'll be fun to talk about throughout the course of the season. Uh, with that, I think that uh, that wraps it up for episode 141, Kevin. Of we, don't, on- we don't have a, a couple of more segments uh, almost two hours in here. No, they're, they're still on the outline. I didn't delete them, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead. <laughs> um, awesome, but yeah, thanks that's, for that's a great news and notes show, man. <laughs> it's always good to have one of those, especially when you take yeah. a week off. Yeah. Got to catch up. Got to play catch up. Exactly. Love it. Uh, well, we'll be back with you as soon as we can record again. But in the meantime, you can follow myself on Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasten Kevin course follow the pod at on the wire pod after all that i am adam howe on behalf of kevin hasting thanks for listening and we bid you goodbye